0: Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with the APEC Head of Strategy at SGK, phil huang welcome phil
1: hi darren so good seeing you and chatting with you
0: well it's good to have you here and you're also joined by the regional head of transcreation at sgk michael vaudry welcome michael
2: hey darren great to see you
0: well you're a bit further away michael you're uh based in singapore is that right i'm in singapore
2: yeah uh a brit you can probably tell by the accent but yeah based in singapore these days yeah
0: yeah, an Englishman in Asia, as they say. <laughs> I am, I am. Now, look, I'll start with you, Michael. Um, transcreation, you know, it's a word that's been around for several decades and particularly out of the UK and Europe. But uh, do you have a fairly sort of easy definition that people could uh, relate to?
2: So... Transcreation kind of came about as a term that we used to rename our adaptive offering um, because it was really growing to become more than just adaptive design. Um, we were moved into digital spaces and obviously the, the marketplaces and touch points of the work that we produce is, is evolving all of the time. So transcreation just became a really nice overall term to describe anything that's kind of adaptive design, um, visualization, retouch. Um 3d imagery animation all these type of um digital touch points that we that we work towards and it, it kind of just then captures all that so there's no there's no real simple way to describe it it just kind of means the stuff that fits in the middle i suppose so uh our transcreation team sits um slap in the middle of what is our deployment and our technical services um and in between our creative services as well. So we're we're kind of the bridge in between those two, I suppose, that's the simplest way to put it. We bridge that gap between bringing more technical services to our creative side
0: and bringing more creative services to our technical side. Because I was always interested that it seemed to have evolved out of uh, the UK and Europe because they were talking about, you know, we've got to not just translate into another language, it's transcreate into the culture of each of those uh, countries. And I always thought, you know, because from my perspective growing up in Australia, Europe f- feels relatively homogeneous culturally. I know that's going to offend some people. But you you come to Asia and then you have real diversity. I mean, it's not just different currencies, different languages. You know, like Thailand, I think they have over 30 different uh, dialects in Thailand you know if you're going to test a transcreation uh, business it would have to be Asia wouldn't it? Absolutely and that's kind of why
2: we're doing what we're doing within SGK and and the, the launch of this kind of idea is, is happening in Asia because of that diversity and those those real regional nuances within, within the area of, like you say Thailand is completely different to Cambodia which is different to Singapore and different to China and it's it's kind of um, we, we've created a really diverse team as well, which kind of panders to that situation. So we're, we're very aware that there's lots of differences and lots of local knowledge and nuance that's needed there. So we're, we're trying to tailor our solution to, to fit the client's needs in all of these different locations. So the word transcreation uh, kind of covers that one.
0: And Phil, you know, as a uh, strategist, it must be fascinating developing or working with brand strategies because I I know a lot of global clients like to come up with a sort of strategic platform that they feel that they can just roll out globally. But you must see that same challenge of diversity uh, when you're working with strategies, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. But I think this is so actually to kind of speak to both of your questions. Um, it's funny because I come from the verbal side of the business, right? I work obviously with strategy, with with language, coming from the copy and verbal writing um, side, you know, transcreation as a concept has always, you know, I, I've been familiar with it for quite some time because whenever you're going between languages, you're reflecting the cultural nuance. So um, <clears throat> on the visual side. Uh, as a company, like how we've actually also evolved even the nomenclature of calling it Transcreation has also been a journey. Because as Michael said, right now, under our Transcreation banner, we actually do quite a few things. Uh, We optimize assets, we adapt assets, we localize assets. We also realize them. And we've seen the types of work that we do just kind of grow, mainly because of the media landscape that we operate in now, right? So whereas before, we just call, this is an adaptation, this is adaptive. But then, you know, that banner and that umbrella has actually grown. Um, and we wanted to recognize that whenever you port or bring an idea or a visual or a creative across platforms or to a different target audience, it does require more thought than even the word of adaptive seems to give, right? You, you, there is another level um, and another nuance of creation, which we do think the word transcreation brings to the table. Now, so on a strategy front, um, yeah, I think it's a very interesting balancing act um, that can actually still be quite fun in the sense of how do you create and maintain these global planks, but then in each local market level that you can still interpret the specific cultural nuance differently. Because as we all know, um, all sorts of messaging you can dial up or dial down specific interpretations of concepts and ideas. And that's where a lot of my work lies, which is uh, not just to create um, a lot of the central uh, platforms or positioning or planks, but a lot of times um, if we're working in a localization perspective, that we can take what uh, global brands have as a central concept and then basically reinterpret it slightly differently um, to what the local audience um
0: needs. And the other thing I've noticed because when we talk about transcreation most people immediately think of global or regional projects but in many ways the service you know and, and Michael you described it before how you sit in the middle that's also becoming increasingly important for brands that operate within one market you know because the volume of uh, content that most brands are producing these days it means that often uh, agencies or, or other suppliers really struggle with being able to scale to meet those needs, don't they?
2: That's right. Yeah. Um, so that's what we offer differently as SGK. Like I say, we we have this holistic view of the whole thing, and transcreation fits fits right in the middle of that. So this, the idea of taking our creative concepts and like the the word scalable was a a great one really, Um, taking that through and knowing when to break away from the creative concepts and look at a more speed, cost efficient and um, just regionally nuanced way of approaching that rollout then across different skews, different pack formats, different media touch points, all, all these different things, um, and, and like you say, the initial concept from a creative idea and scaling that out into real-world deliverables um, is the area that Transcreation excels, really.
0: Yeah, because uh, you know we've noticed uh, in the last twenty years, you know, w- when we do our work with uh, brands and looking at their outputs that they have for marketing communications. Back in around 2004, 2005, the average brand was producing around 200 pieces of work. And now, you know, I think it was 2019 was the last time we looked at all the data. Yeah, We stopped counting at about three to 5,000. Yeah. Um, Phil, what is it that's driving this from your perspective? Why have we had a you know, more than 10-fold 10 10 increase in content creation over a sort of 15 year period?
1: Um, Definitely just the fact that we live in an omnichannel world. Um, There's so many platforms to be on. Programmatic targeting um, really lets you hyper-personalize all of your comms. So all of this leads to both complexity and I would say opportunity, because we all want our messages and our ideas to be able to be landed hyper-personalized, right? Um, Because it speaks better to the audience on the platform um, in the language um, to their personal preference or consumer or shopping preference. And that's really the,
0: the, the driver of, of, of all of this. I'd like to uh, think that was true, but you know I don't see a lot of brands actually achieving hyper-personalization. What I do see is uh, a lot of the social media channels and digital channels being ferocious consumers of content you know, if I made a a TV ad and I spent hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars, I would get a year at least, if not two years. Now I produce a video, I'm getting a week before I have to update it or, you know, haven't we really moved into a world that's just consuming content with an appetite that's almost impossible to feed?
1: Yeah, I I think it's definitely both. And I think that's why, um, can't remember if I did uh, say we all aim to be hyper personalized. So I think that's a, that's a really long journey, right? It's one of those kind yeah. of holy marketing holy grails. So it, it, it is both, and the fact that you have so many different uh, formats and forms of content living across platforms. You have short form, you have long form, you have native. Um, so the the number of places where you can consume content and um, is of course multiplied and then times that with the programmatic ability to try and personalize it I think it is both
0: yeah
2: Michael I, I think it's about reactivity in the marketplace as well brands want to be reactive they want to they want to look at what's happening in the world and what's happening in terms of um, even events and things like that different times of the year and things and they, they want to tailor their marketing concepts to that to that vision and they want to tailor their their the things that we deliver to that so the I think the reason that volumes of content and volumes of deliverables have skyrocketed is like Phil said the channels that people are consuming this content has increased and and like you noted the the life cycle of these things is actually very short now and, and brands want to be super reactive
0: because, uh, you know, I've noticed that agencies culturally really struggle with scaling, you know, and I'm, this is a generalisation. I know, you know, I've heard recently in the last 12 months that some are investing in, you know, robotics and, and AI and things like that, trying to automate the production to, to somehow play in this space. But I think no matter what technology, it actually requires a, a cultural, you know, adjustment which is the traditional role of an agency was almost like the old-fashioned craft workshop where, you know, you put a group of craftsmen on to build one thing and they would spend lots of time making it, uh, you know, perfect and, and adjusting it, which is what we see with, you know, creative people in agencies. That the whole, whole way through the process, they're constantly there, you know, tinkering and providing feedback. Now, that's fine if I'm producing one, but if I'm producing a thousand, isn't it a completely different cultural and and mindset, which you know goes to the whole production process, Michael? It is,
2: it is, um, and it, this is why we talk about this this sweet spot in between production and and creative, and that's really where it is. Um, this the skill of transcreation and the skill of adaptive, um, and to be able to just hit things at volume is to. Have a real understanding of packaging, and to always look back at that creative vision that, that streams down from the top, from the from the creative idea, um, and the, the skills of the guy, like I of the guys that like I say this this idea of technical skills with a creative edge rather than creative skills with a technical edge. That's probably more where we sit, um, and and that enables us to create real world designs that 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 work, um, printable, producible. Uh, Phil,
0: yeah, Phil, because you said you're you're in yeah you know, mainly focused on the verbal side, uh, that strategy and creative. So how does that fit in?
1: Yeah, I, I do have to say um, we still also stand for craft. Um, don't don't get us wrong. You know, we do have uh, top creative teams. It's just that we've learned how to have different teams complement each other. So previously, whenever we um, kind of sit down with a client, we have all what we call like the holy not holy, okay. I can't put that word out there, but like the trinity
0: of. of oh, thank of, you. Of course, thank you.
1: <laughs> oh yes, um, the trinity of, of course, you know, always creative strategy and account servicing at the table, right? And we're all co-working. But then we've at you know the fourth leg is, is equally important, which is production, right? So we we do prefer to be honing our craft on um, the idea, um, on the strength of the, the idea. Um, but then uh, being able to translate that with production planning at the table into multiple formats. So we've actually started working a lot more in terms of thinking more in terms of asset maps, in terms of toolkits. It's not a singular um, visual necessarily. It's always a toolkit of parts that come together still to form a really strong idea. And that toolkit of parts, whether it's visual assets, sonic assets, messaging assets, can be remixed in different ways, right? So I don't think it's necessarily um, uh, mutually exclusive, um, but but we have different tribes and expertise that that complement each other.
0: Because uh, I've just noticed that you know uh, a lot of marketers will have their origination agency. You know they 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 have uh, research companies, strategists, you know creatives that will do the sort of the big idea. But, uh, you know, there's a point where suddenly that goes from the single big idea, and the fact that it's called a big idea make it, makes it singular, but then when you've got to execute that over thousands and thousands of different outputs to different audiences, different media channels, you know, th- isn't this where the logistics comes in, Michael? It is, and it, it, it's like
2: you say, how do you manage that volume through, how do you... Uh, and it, like I mentioned earlier, this idea this that you take this big idea and you give it some, um, a bit more firepower from the business, more more boots on the ground with that creative vision and that technical knowledge to push these things through into real world translations, not only in language, but in terms of SKUs, different touch points, media channels, all that type of stuff. Um, it, it's The idea is always the core, um, but the support of the team moving this through the business and into production is really important as well. Um, and this is what Phil kind of built on there as well. The the idea of of SGK is that it's a collaborative process. This is all about collaboration. Our trans creation teams don't sit as a silo. We sit as a part and an extension of our creative teams and extension of our production teams. So that collaboration through the business really helps to streamline and make things, uh, just, just flow easier for clients, really, and, and that's the goal of us, really, to make things make life easier for the clients.
0: So I'd imagine that you also collaborate with uh, clients, other suppliers as well. I mean, this is not just, you know, and, and that would be, for me, the big difference.
2: We do. So not only does it flow through from SGK Creative, um, we also pick up and collaborate with lots of different agencies and businesses across the world, suppliers from printers at the, at the right side of the business up to ad agencies and lots of different um, disciplines that, we're, we're, that, that clients really want this holistic view of all of these different agencies to just play well together. And, and we do that and we do it all the time.
0: Yeah, because that's um, one of the things that I've constantly run into is uh, clients will get us in because they'll have a portfolio of agencies, for instance. And and I remember uh, particularly it was in Malaysia. They had, you know, about four or five agencies, but one of them was made the lead agency. And I think that's such a dangerous term, the lead agency, because while the client's expectation was that they would somehow be the, a leader In that they would help coordinate the the performance and the uh, engagement of all the other agencies in the portfolio, they actually uh, defined it for themselves as that they were the gatekeeper. They would decide who did what, when, how, and there was no collaboration whatsoever. The client was completely blown away when we revealed this to them because they were anointing this agency as the lead agency. And it was one of the major creative, global creative agencies. And even the agency was shocked because they just thought being made the leader meant that they got to say what, you know, tell everyone else what to do. I mean, very strange interpretation of leadership. Have you guys come across that?
1: We've come across multiple flavors of co-working, which I think quite honestly, just uh, reflects the complexity of our landscape and uh, of our industry these days. Um, And we've definitely seen some cases like you've described. We have of course seen other better examples, but there's always a lot of different dynamics at play. And one of the key um, factors and variables is also the client themselves, right? What role, What how central role do th- and how strong their core team is to lead this constellation of agencies around them, and that's where we see sometimes um, the the power dynamic can be either unclear or play out in different ways because uh, you know there's constellation of agencies on one hand, there's you know the marketing team on the other, um, and 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 there's yeah there's capability there's interest there's ambition and and they all have to be kind of communicated differently
0: yeah and look you know some marketers think that the concepts like you know defining what a lead leader is should be you know uh not even needs to be determined i mean you know in some ways the very basics of setting up the format setting up the rules of engagement amongst the various uh agencies, vendors, suppliers, whatever procurement term, is so essential. I mean, do you often find yourselves uh, having to navigate that with both your clients and their agencies?
2: We do, Um, and sometimes it is a bit of a minefield, Uh, and I think Phil nailed it with exactly what he said. It depends on the client themselves, how much that client wants to be their own brand guardian, Um, kind of dictates out to the rest of the the field as how how they should react as well. When the client allows one agency to almost, like you say, take the role of the king, um, it it kind of doesn't necessarily work so well with with the other agencies. So collaboration, I think, is always the key with these sorts of things. And top-down leadership from the client as well.
0: Yeah, because one of the issues is the actual term collaboration, I think, has been bastardised by the advertising and marketing industry in that they that people seem to superficially think that it just means uh, cooperating with each other or even coordinating, both CO words. Collaboration actually means to work together for mutual benefit. And I think that's the part that's often forgotten in, people throw the word collaboration around as if you know everyone should know what it means. But unless there's a clearly defined mutual benefit for all the players, you're not really collaborating. At best, you're cooperating with each other. I know that seems like semantics, but you know, often it's the language that gets in the way of uh, people being able to work well together. Uh, do you agree, Phil?
1: Yeah, and although to that point, even cooperating well, to your point, even getting to cooperating can sometimes be be a problem, right? And, and I think, you know, just to throw more complexity in, into the issue is, of course, just the different flavors of agencies and teams is multiplying. So you have your external agencies, you have, you know, your different tiered agencies, you have your in-house agencies, you have external creator networks. So it is all a glorious, um, beautiful chaos, <laughs> can be sometimes... <laughs> where um, the, the, in the best of situations, all of the creativity sparks kind of um, spark off of each other and does what you you know kind of describe as a, an ideal vision. Um, I do think that, I don't, um, I do believe you kind of hinted at this uh, a little bit earlier on in our chat. I do think it's so important, um, especially in these situations, you think about the attitude and the culture of the, the agency teams that are coming to the table. Um, Because if they are open, right, and if they, you know, that's an attitude thing, right? Um, An attitude of openness might not have assumed that just because they're called lead agency necessarily means dictating who does what. Obviously, leadership is a very broad term, or lead is a very broad concept as well. That might not be the go-to definition. So Um, I I do think it it does speak a lot to uh, agency culture and how they view themselves within the industry as well.
0: Well, I, I have been on the record as saying that if you want cooperation between agencies and production partners and that sort of thing, try and leave the account management team at home um bring the strategists, the creatives and the production people together because most of those people are driven by wanting to come up with the best solution and delivering it as fast as possible. The poor old account management team's responsible for answering to the agency CFO who's going to say, why didn't you get more of the client budget? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so they become the ones that end up fighting for territory, fighting for, for budget. And I think that's another part that often you know, I I've found marketers really struggle with is going into this and defining you know this is your part this is your part this is your part so that you take that off the table mm. and get the best of the teams solving your problems because ultimately isn't that why we're all in business is to solve our clients problems
1: yeah and, and I, I think that's a great attitude and that goes along with what I was saying like how do you view your own role of your customer centric? If you're work-centric, if it's the work, the work, the work, then you would go in there with the right attitude to foster this type of um, collaboration and not just cooperation.
0: Yeah. Hey, Michael, I just thought of that old saying, you know, quality costs time. You can have any 2 You'd be familiar with that one, wouldn't you?
2: Very much so, yeah. Um, we, we live in a world where expectations of quality is very high and expectations of speed is very fast. Um, so we we kind of we we dance that saying every single day i think
0: yeah well uh um uh sir martin sorrell's uh, s4 capital says you can have all three now we'll give you speed quality and uh and uh and low cost you know and and in some ways he's right in that technology is allowing uh to actually uh, meet a lot of those unrealistic expectations by you know helping to streamline production isn't it
2: yeah well that that is the holy grail fast and cost effective um, and great quality as well and and that's what we're targeting really i suppose with the with the transcreation offering to try and find um, an at pace solution for a lot of these things and to try and be as reactive as we can yeah um, technology definitely lends a hand um, and just also looking at the um process really helps as well. So if you think about the brief and the information and and collaborating with clients is a really important part of the transcreation offering because um, helping clients to extract the very best information and the very best brief from the start enables us to get things through fast, right first time and reduces this idea of revision loops and sometimes just slowing things down ever so slightly and making sure that that information is absolutely crystal from the start. We understand what the client wants to deliver from the project. Um, what that does is it, it actually slows, it um, reduces the timeline of the projects because you reduce this back and forward, the, the idea that the information comes through perfect first time and we can always try and hit this right first time target that we're looking at. That That's the way to get things speedily to market, really, to work as, as, um, as efficiently as we can.
0: And, and one of the things you said there, Michael, that I just want to pick up on is having a process, you know, because often in conversations, particularly with creative agencies, when I talk about process, they'll say, yeah, there's a process, but every project is different. Every project has, you know, and so everything becomes bespoke. You know, it's, it's almost as if there's no point where someone steps back and goes, well, actually, there are certain points along this that are fairly common and we can then optimise that as a process rather than doing it sort of on a bespoke basis every time.
2: Absolutely. And, and like we say, the, the transcreation sits in between production and in between creative. So we basically steal ideas from both of those sides. We, we steal that great concept in and the ideas of thinking about things creatively and, and ultimately problem solving is, is a lot of what adaptive design is, taking something that exists in one format, format and, and adapting that and translating it to, a, to solve a problem of a di- of a different layout. You're also always thinking about processes, production centers and, and those sorts of technical services always work in terms of very hard structures um, and, and a lot of process. And we, we extract from that the things that work and we can um, dovetail in with our creative offering as well to, to basically create the, the sweet spot
0: with, with adaptation work. Yeah, I, I just recently I was working with a client and uh, they were explaining to me how the agency uh, introduced a fee for uh, fast-tracking work. And uh, I said, well, they should be designed, if you've got a lot of fast-track work, they should design the process to accommodate it. And it wasn't until I spoke to the agency and they pointed out, well, it's only fast-track because of the lack of client planning, that everything's at the last minute. At what point is there an opportunity of really pushing back from a transcreation production point of view back onto clients? That you know, part of this is they need to also have their process working well.
2: Yeah, planning is planning is everything. Um, and ultimately, if you if you think about all of our teams, we have a finite amount of resource. Um, we we always want to know what's coming down the road so that we can make sure exactly like you say that we we tailor our process, we tailor our studio deliverable to hit whatever that client timeline is. If we know it's coming, we can prepare for it. If it comes in today and it's needed in the next two hours, inevitably you need to shift your resources around and somebody always loses in that situation. So um, good behavior is uh, supportive of the process and, and this idea of I need this super fast and I need it now Sometimes, yes, that is the nature of the industry that we're in. Uh, and moving things around is is a part of the, the daily challenges that we face, really.
1: And I do want to jump in and say there is something very special about SGK, which is we actually have a whole team of workflow consultants doing exactly what you've said, um, which is part of you know our expansion of not just the Trinity, but like with the production being the fourth leg. So, especially with uh, our larger engagement, client engagements, we do have a consultant bun in front to actually design what the our workflow would be like with them, um, just so we can mitigate exactly
0: the situation that you've just described. Actually, I, I'm now Phil seeing a room full of Six Sigma black belts beating the crap out of the creatives and and everyone else to say, "Don't do it that <laughs> way." Chop, chop, chop. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll,
1: I'll I'll be honest. I do I do call them respectfully our Six Sigma ninjas. Yeah.
0: Well, and and that's what I love about the fact that uh, Six Sigma em- uh, embraced the idea of the uh, martial arts belt. So you know, once you're a black belt, no one messes with you. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and I think on that note, I mean, we're talking about um, quality, speed, and, and cost, right? I think there's many ways to get to that holy grail. Obviously, technology is super important. Um, so we do have um, our data pipes are all integrated and in all that. Um, the process part, as we've mentioned, which is the workflow part. But I think also where historically maybe other agencies have um, maybe have had a harder time adapting, it's just how comfortable they are to having different business models or kind of like, um, you know, cost and creative and production centers, right? By now, I think we know that as we cascade work through this pyramid of different tiered uh, layer work that you, you, you also need to actually innovate on, on, on your business model front and you, in your team structure front. So we actually have multiple ways of um, interacting and working with clients on site, near site, off site. And that's also really matched with how all of our teams can hence hit different um, criteria of the sweet spot of quality, cost and speed at different tiers of creative production level.
0: Yeah. Look, it's interesting from my perspective, because I'm sitting in the industry, I'm watching companies like SGK come from a, you know, I think you guys were primarily a packaging production company, but you moved into, you know, broader design and printing, and now you have you've offering that full service. We're also seeing the big holding companies the, that own advertising agencies have started, you know, or years ago, creating their own, you know, production specialists to do the same sort of thing. And even some of the print companies, you know, got together and started, you know, everyone sort of moved into this centre. But what I notice is that each one brings a different culture based on the heritage of where they've come from. And each of those cultures has, a diff- you know, different strengths and weaknesses around the way they work. I saw the same thing years ago with uh, digital, you know, when digital, you know, we're talking the early 2000s, but, you know, there was uh, uh, Avenue A Razorfish, God, that's a blast from the past, was a design company that moved into digital. RGA was a sort of film production that moved into digital. And then there were others like Sapient, there were a technology company that and each of those had different cultures. I think origins and foundations of of all companies ha, has a profound impact. Uh, what would you define, uh, you know, SGK as the the sort of culture, the foundation that you guys bring?
1: Um, I would say uh, openness, quite honestly. Uh, we're very landed people. I, You can say that does come from our production heritage um, in the sense that if you imagine our different tribes, we have the creative, we have the production, the strategies, We also have Six Sigma ninjas um, in the mix that we're really um, all about you know, being able to uh, openly and practically find a way to get where we need to go fast. So it's actually a really... Um, uh, yeah. Just kind of, um, sorry, I'm thinking in Chinese at the no. same time in my head, <laughs> sometimes my brain splits. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a very collaborative, um, culture above yeah. Michael, anything Michael? else I'd say.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. We're, we're a very solution based business. And then we, you've just demonstrated the evolution of SGK over the years and, and we're a very adaptive company and we, we we move with the ebb and flow of the industry and we're always looking at what the next client challenge is and what areas we diversify into and where, what, what is the white space within our business that we need to fill and, and grow to move into. So that, that's a real um, the
0: ethos of the business really to, to evolve. I mean, I have to say uh, production for me has always attracted people that sort of go, all right, what do you want? Okay, let me get back to you on the best way to do it. And by the way, if it's not here on Tuesday at 10 o'clock, it's not going to happen. You know, that there's a real um, pragmatism that comes from production. And I think it's because it's just a discipline of delivery, delivery, delivery. I've got to hit the times. I've got to coordinate all the parts to come together which you don't necessarily see from other other uh, perspectives or, or different cultural approaches to this area?
2: I think it's that ownership of the deadline, isn't it? Production centres, they know they've got that hard line in the sand. That thing is going to print on that day and it has to deliver at that time. So they can tell the hard line and they can almost say to client, listen, if you need to hit that, we need to do this. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It, 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 brings visibility of the process to the client and it helps them to understand what we need from their side to help them achieve their goals.
0: Yeah. And also there's the opportunity of then of bringing that so that when the creative comes in, you know, because creative people uh, are not necessarily thinking within the realms of what's actually achievable. But when you bring the two together, it, it can actually create magic because, you know, it may not be readily obvious how to make an idea come to fruition, but great production people actually step up to that challenge and still work within the framework of you know quality, cost, time. And if it's you know if it's on budget, if they can deliver it on budget and on time, then they're happy.
2: I I agree um, and. From the production side of our business, we are almost slaves to the creative, and and the production side, their their whole point is not to find the easy way. Challenge, make make. Let's make printers work a little harder. Let's see if we can push this brief, this creative, brilliant creative concept that's come down from our studios. How can we make that work? How, how what the challenge is to to actually push everybody to be a little bit better, um, not just to rest on our laurels. And that's something that we definitely push for in SGK. Yeah.
1: And I think that bridging role of smart production planning, that in-between phase is so important for that because we we're trying to um, blend the phases more and more so so that you know the production thinking is introduced higher up and earlier in our creative thinking. So we can already you know it's not just a straight handoff. We're trying to sit down at the table together and think, okay, this creative idea, we can split the frames this way, we can shoot it, uh, we can divide up the layers this way. So we, I mentioned our toolkit and, you know, asset map um, principle, where we're always thinking in sets, right? So, okay. And, And this goes even to copy and messaging, right? So we're sitting earlier, and we're putting production planning earlier at the table with creative, so we can deconstruct the best way to still keep the, the the most core and most potent part of the creative idea, while letting us uh, maximize production speed and value um, and volume.
0: Yeah. Uh, look, I really um, I got to appreciate production years ago when I was a copywriter. I was working with an art director. Uh, his name was Trevor Smith, and we had a real estate client, a big uh, you know uh, commercial and industrial real estate client. We had a um, A a factory that was an old sanitarium uh, foods factory where they made Wheat Bix. And instead of doing the four page, cellar sheened, die cut brochure that they wanted, they wanted a thousand of them. We actually redesigned the Wheat Bix box with the brochure on it and then uh, contacted the client selling it and said, can you fill it? So it was a really interesting challenge. We had to produce only 1,000 of these and then give it to Sanitarium to actually then put it on their production line and fill. Seeing the effort that all of the production people, both at uh, Sanitarium, at the printers and everyone, would go to because they were excited about the idea of actually doing a real estate brochure that looked like a box of wheat bix Breakfast cereal was just fantastic. You know, the amount of effort and clients often say to me, how can we get more value out of our agencies? It's give them big, hairy challenges and let them just go for it as far as coming up with solutions. I think ultimately that's what attracts people to this industry. I mean, you two, what what is that what attracted you to this category? Because you know, we could all be doing something much easier. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I think I think our industry right now is very complicated, very fast moving, and it's always glass half full, half empty, right? If you if you feel like you can thrive on complexity and uncertainty, I can't imagine a more exciting, you know, time to be in 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 marketing. I suppose. Um, so yes, it, it is it is trying to solve all of these jigsaw puzzles about. How do you put the people and the tribes and the teams together for the best creative result and the best you know, market result and the best client result that that does excite me?
0: Yeah. Michael?
2: I suppose for me, it always came just from a love of brands and a love of great design. Um, always from my dad's family, I've got a history of being in the creative industries um, and just that that translated into packaging for me and and the love of the big brands that are out there in in the marketplaces and the things that you see wandering around the supermarket and just just being involved with that and some of the great campaigns that you you get to be involved with such a lot of diversity when you're involved with packaging and like we've talked about now we're moving into digital and into all these different spaces and you really get to see the cradle to grave i suppose of the product going through and, and i just love all that
0: yeah uh was fantastic. Look, guys, thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Phil Huang and uh, Michael Vaudry. Um, It's been great having this conversation. I really appreciate you making the time.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity, Darren.
0: Cheers. Now, look, I just have one last question before you go, and that is, you know, you must have seen some really silly requests come through. What was the worst request that's actually hit your desk? <laughs>